Welcome to the Set Yourself Free podcast, real stories of ending emotional abuse and taking your life back. I'm your host, Carrie Veach, owner of Set Yourself Free. I am a life and success coach that believes we all have limitless potential within us with the right tools and support. Trauma or past hurt might be a part of your story, but it does not have to be the entire story. We all have different versions of what freedom means, and I'm here to help you unlock your perfect version of how to set yourself free. Join us for season three, where we follow five extremely brave women who share their stories of what it took to get to the other side of trauma and abuse. Through listening to their stories, you will know that you are not alone, that shame can only grow in secret, and that it absolutely does get better on the other side. By hearing their stories, you will gain insight and tools for ways that you can access your own power and do the work to set yourself free. All of the magic you need is waiting deep inside of you, and these women are here to help you tap into it. Let's dive in. What kind of support system did you have on your journey? Belinda. Actually, okay, so this is interesting. I was talking to my brother about this because I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but he was the one person who really stayed with me through it. Uh, took up, you know, he's like, I had to have counseling about your relationship. Like that's how that's how much it was. But but he really did stay in with me. So I have to give him a lot of credit as my support system. Uh, when so I was asking him kind of what he remembers about like from his perspective what he thought was going on, and he said it was very very difficult for him because I would call and I would tell him the hard things. And then he would say, okay, then you're getting out of this. And then I would be like, yeah. And then I wouldn't do it. And it was to the point that it was driving him insane. But the one thing that, oh my gosh, he actually had to go to counseling on my behalf. Great. Um, (laughs) But he said the one thing that his, um, his therapist kept telling him, you know, was number one, don't give up on her. And number two, uh, this is part of it. This is what people do, you know? So she's not asking you for a solution. She just needs a place to talk about things. And so I'm giving my brother major props as support system. Uh, I did mention that, that therapy actually didn't work for me because it was with couples because they totally took his side every time. But having my brother and then for whatever reason, and I know, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but there was something deep down in me the entire time that knew I was not going to marry him after I saw, like after it started getting weirder. And so whatever it was that kept me in it and kept me unable to let it go, I, I can't like codependency maybe. Um, but the one thing that's the most fascinating part is that there was, there was never a time after it started to get really weird that I thought, Oh, I definitely want to spend the rest of my life with this guy. So I, I, I don't know, um, like what, maybe, maybe it was just resolve and that has to come from having a sense of self from before that before the relationship. So I'm going to give like some weird credit to, um, to, you know, a strong will, a very strong will. So I would say the third thing was definitely my music, even though he had pretty much 
you know, beat me down mentally and emotionally to the point that uh, I wasn't good. I wasn't a professional. It was just a hobby. I wasn't making enough money at it. That was still somewhere I could go that was super personal that no one else Mm. could get to me. No one else, Mm. no one could reach me. He even actually went out and bought a guitar and thought he was going to learn. And I didn't know how to play guitar. So, shoo. (laughs) Uh, but the one thing that I would if nothing else if there's nothing else that anybody else has uh, going on if they're thinking about getting out of a relationship or if they have someone and they're feeling crazy if there is something that you can make like guard at all costs that is yours you can come back Mm. to that and get grounded be like wait Maybe, maybe even if all the things that he said about my, my ability at that time was true, he still couldn't take away the fact that I still enjoyed it and that I still liked it. And he could never mm. get there because he could never be part of that. So that's when that was a huge thing for me. And that would be my, my number one thing is start looking for your thing if we need to get out. Yeah. Well, and I think that speaks to really the self that you had before the relationship in terms of you had a sense of self and maybe it felt like you lost some of that in the process of being with him, but you were still able to go back to that and pull from that. Yeah. I I have to, like, I want to just reiterate and, and like underline and exclamation and, and italicize all, all of the things that, Difficult and ugly relationships are not reserved only for weak people they, mm. at all. So I, I would never have predicted that. I would have never identified as a weak person mentally ever. And, and, and I think that it's a misnomer that it's like, oh, well, she has no sense of self. She, she's not very smart. She's not mm. um, whatever. But that's how she got into that. That's not true. That is not true at all. It happens to the wisest and the smartest and the best of us, along with everybody. It's, it's, oh, yes. Underline and italicize if we were in writing. If we were in English (laughs) class. Right. If we were in English class. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's so important. Highlighter, yes, we need that one too. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so important to make that point because that also speaks to what continually is a theme of women who've been on the show and women that I talk to, and I'm sure women you talk to, is that then it highlights the shame because you think, what is wrong with me? I am a capable, smart, driven woman. So how in the world did this happen to me? Yes. And you feel crazy. Because like when, when I was really in the throes of this, no one had ever used the term gaslighting to me. No Mm. one had, that wasn't something, I don't know if that's a newer term. I just may have been sheltered, but when you have somebody who constantly tells you you're not good enough and demonstrates that in, in, in all Mm. ways, then even the, even the strongest have to go, okay, 
am I, am I crazy? Like, I, I think, I'm, I think I'm smart. And that's how it starts to peel away at you. But the most interesting people that I meet who, and I'm like, uh, oh yeah, I've been in, in an emotionally and verbally abusive relationship. They'll be like, oh yeah, me too. Like, oh my gosh, mm. what's happening? Like so many incredible people who, who do the most fantastic things around this world. I am blessed with the coolest friends who do the neatest things. It's absurd how many of us have been like, oh yeah, yeah, that was a dark period. I don't know. I have no idea why mm. that was, but, um, but man, open the, opening the door to the conversation and allowing everybody a seat at the table just makes you realize how not abnormal you are. You're just, we're just all in it together and we're all figuring it out. Yes. And it's so essential to have the conversation to normalize the experience so that you don't feel alone. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. And when I finally got out of it, that was really the first time I went to therapy for myself. I went to the doctor Mm. and I was so like, I had so much shame already around Mm. all of this, having been in this relationship having to go for mental health because it was just not the thing that my family did. So Mm -hmm. the first time I went, I am not kidding. I wore a ball cap. I wore big sunglasses. (laughs) Like like I was like, you know, JLo trying to, trying to hide out. Don't see me. Don't see me. You know, I was so embarrassed and I went in and I couldn't stop crying. And she was like, um, so we need to give you some medication. Like, Oh my gosh, I didn't need medicine. I just wanted needed to make sure that you, I had depression. She's like, yeah, but then we actually treat that. (laughs) So so there was a period of time where I was taking antidepressants and I was so ashamed. Now, now I'm like, yeah, what you take? What was your dosage? I've got the, okay, you have that. Okay. Because Something happened when, when, and I think we all, all of us on this podcast are saying, no, this has to be Mm -hmm. part of it. You know, some people are pro antidepressants. Some people think they're, I don't, I don't care. What I know is what helped me and I have to do what's for me. But just to talk about it, the fact that, yeah, I'm I'm going to see a therapist, like it wasn't the cool thing to do back then. It (laughs) It was not cool. And then it's like, you know, now it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to see my therapist. But it's like, it's, yeah. it's like, oh, of course you are. Yeah. Who do you use? Do you love her? Do you not? Like, do you love him? You know, but yeah, I, just normalizing that. So I did this entire thing with a bunch of women where I kind of like wanted to come out about the fact that I had had anxiety and depression and had to be medicated for it. And they definitely were not expecting that. I think they thought I was going to say I was getting married or say I was pregnant or something like, and I'm like, you know, I made this whole thing. Okay. I'm coming out. This is got big news. And it was the sweetest thing because I really didn't expect any feedback from it. I just wanted to go ahead and normalize that. But probably the, the, the most, the most direct messages I've ever gotten on a live Facebook video where these people like, Oh, Oh my gosh, I had no idea that you had. Oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, what are you taking? <laughs> Let's discuss it, you know, or are you not? Yeah, it was, it was so, so again, that's why find somebody now, especially now. There are people you can talk to, there are people, there are groups you can be in, but do not isolate yourself because, and do not allow yourself to be isolated because that's one of the other 
tricks that go, goes on. You know, people, people who treat women like this or, or other men, um, they isolate. And my brother asked him, so I was asking him what he remembered about all of this. And he said the hardest part was watching him isolate you. Jess. Uh, so for me, it kind of varied a little bit. Um, because when I was about 15, like I had mentioned, I moved out on my own. I moved to Vancouver first um, to stay with my dad and his wife at the time. And then we didn't get along. So she kind of booted me out really quickly. Um, so I was in a brand new province with nobody that I knew and kind of my only link to it, um, was my dad who was like, I don't want to say caught in the middle of me and his wife, but, uh, his wife and I didn't get along very well, um, for various reasons. And it was quite obvious she didn't want me in the house. So I was, I was very much on my own, um, at a lot of different points throughout healing and throughout the continuation of the trauma. Um, when I first started healing, uh, it, it still felt like I was very much alone. Um, I didn't know who I could trust with the information. I didn't know kind of who I could go so in depth with that I would feel comfortable with. Um, it's very easy to explain everything and then later feel very raw and vulnerable and open and worried about what this person's going to do with this information. What are they going to think about me? Um, so my support was, was very limited. I had, um, or I had a couple of best friends still in Ontario when I was in Vancouver. Um, so I could talk to them a little bit about things that were going on. Um, one of them, uh, has her master's in, in counseling. Obviously she didn't at the time, but she was also very interested in psychology as I was. So, we talked a little bit about those things, but um, I know she was dealing with a lot of stuff in her own life as well. So it was hard to put more on her plate. And then my other best friend was kind of the same thing. She's, you know, doing a lot on her own. So it's hard to, it was hard for me to justify uh, asking people for support. I've always been kind of the strong one. I've always been the person that people go to when they need somebody, when they need a shoulder to cry on, when they need someone to understand or just to, to listen and so it was hard for me not having that I leaned on my mother quite a bit um, with the support um, I the relationship I had with her was very uh, very strained because there was a lot of anger and things that you know I hadn't even realized were going on subconsciously the way that I felt towards her and so there were times when I would kind of just explode at her out of nowhere. And there's that, just that anger that comes out. You don't know where it is. And then you feel the guilt afterwards for expressing that. And then, you know, it's your mom. So you feel bad that she's been hurt and you did the one, like you're the one who hurt her. So it's even just like more traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when all you're looking for really is, is for someone to just be like, I'm here with you. Like you're not alone kind of thing. And so I was very much, very much alone, very much in my own head um, quite a bit, which I think is part of the reason that my symptoms got so bad, um, that things escalated so much. And then when I started uh, working with professional help, um, I had my boyfriend at the time who I'd mentioned previously was, um, he helped me a lot by helping me find resources and things like that. And so he was supportive, but he was supportive in so much that my actions and behavior didn't affect him. As soon as I was doing something 
that was symptomatic, that would interfere with something he wanted or wanted to do, it was a problem. So he could understand kind of to an extent. And of course, you know, people, especially people who aren't trained in psychology or counseling or any of this stuff, um, it's hard for them to understand how someone's, you know, negative actions or words or behavior can be because of something they're struggling with internally. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone takes things personally. That's just part of being human. And it's, it's hard not to do, of course. And, and so it's kind of the same thing where I would get, I would feel scared or um, angry or jealous, or like he was going to reject me or leave me. And then I would freak out or I would isolate myself from him or, you know, something that was definitely not beneficial for the relationship. Um, But we were both very, we were both very independent um, people, but I wanted more of a life kind of together. So there was a big struggle with that as well. We were very different. We didn't make a very good couple. I realize that now, but of course at the time you're just right. Going, right? Yeah. It's someone who's there and who shows you care. And even if it's not all the time, and even if it's not the type of care that you want, you take that over nothing. And so, you know, I had, I had some support there, but it wasn't the kind of support that I needed. Um, well, and I think it's really, I, I don't know. I feel like it's really important to say like so often what we have to do, but we don't know at the time is be able to ask for the kind of support, but you don't know until you're in it sometimes. And you're like, oh, this doesn't actually feel like what I need. And when you're younger, particularly, right? Like you just, you don't know how to navigate that. It's just like, how would you? Oh, a hundred percent. And, and sometimes you just don't know that that's actually like what you need is the support, not even just not being able to ask for it, but that that's what, what you need. That's what's going to change how you feel. That's what's going to change you from feeling like you're drowning in fear and stress or, you know, falling off a cliff. Like Mm. those are the feelings that I would constantly have that, that leap in the stomach, that tightness in the chest, just those those feelings of being unanchored, unhooked, like ungrounded. Um, and, you know, you think talking to someone that cares about you is going to make it better, but then when we would fight, it would make it worse. Mm. So there's so many things that I wish I had known. Um, yeah. And one of the biggest things was, was to know when I could have used support, how I could have asked for support and the type of support that I actually needed. Um, and I definitely, would love to have started that with the support of myself and just being uh, working on the kind of that self-love, that self-trust, that self-care that I really, really needed to be focusing on. But um, because when you're dealing with trauma, when you're dealing with anxiety, you're so often numbing parts of your life. You're so often disconnecting from parts of your life. It's hard to know even yourself in those moments. And that was one of the things that really, really pushed me towards getting professional help was that I didn't feel like myself. I felt like a stranger. I felt like a jerk most of the time. Um, I just felt like, you know, I wasn't the person that I know that I was. I think that's kind of the point when I knew things needed to change. Mm -hmm. Um, With the support, like I had a few friends in Vancouver too, but it was more like acquaintance friends. So I had one or two people that I could kind of confide in what was going on, but I also felt like they saw me during times when I was trying to cope in such destructive ways that it was hard to get over that vision that they had of me Mm. of being, you know, this like party girl or, you know, um, just needing attention. You know what I mean? Just needing some kind of positive attention from people. 
um, but doing it in a destructive way, like, you know, going out drinking every weekend and partying and things like that. And I feel like that's how they saw me. And so when I went to them and I was like, Hey, this has been what's really going on for me. Like, you know, one or two people understood, but the majority of people, it scared them. And so it was more like, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to talk to me. They didn't know what to make of it. For sure. Well, I think, Unfortunately, changing when you have a history and patterns and people um, maybe see you in a certain light um, and whether that means they think it means something about them, which it doesn't, but oftentimes, again, back to that, like taking things personally. And so, you know, breaking out of old patterns with people is just really challenging. Oh, absolutely. And the way that I change even personality wise from the day that I decided I wasn't going to put up with this crap anymore, <laughs> like from myself, basically, um, my behavior was completely different. My personality was completely different. The, the times that I started integrating the, um, the tools that I needed to learn and, and integrate into my life to make things better and easier on myself. Those things changed me so much that, um, I, I really wasn't the same person. I really wasn't the same as I was during those times because I was more uh, investigating the things that were going on for me instead of just reacting to them. Mm. And I mean, I can, I, I can only imagine because I know that that is true for myself and for so many other women I speak to because you just can't be the same once you integrate the things that you've learned. Absolutely. And another thing too, I noticed was when I started talking about my trauma, um, the sexual abuse that I experienced as a child, uh, when I started talking about it, I couldn't stop talking about it. I wanted to tell everybody I needed to make up for all of the years of silence. It was like just Mm -hmm. shooting out of me and I couldn't control it really. So, you know, there are friends who are my party friends who didn't want to hear about this heavy shit all the time. Like every time we hung out or, you know, didn't, again, didn't know what to do with it. Right. And it kind of scared them off from talking. And I understand like, you know, if I was on the other side of it, that might've been too much for me at some point in my life as well. Yep. Uh, Yep. And so, yeah, I get it. I really get it. I just wish that I had, I don't know, I had just had a better support system in place really beforehand or, or just during my entire life. But often, you know, people who have been abused, um, neglected, traumatized, they keep people away. And so it's often hard to have a full and, and proper support system. Um, you know, support groups were okay for me. They were, they were an okay place that at least I could see there was other people going through similar things. But I think we also talked about before how I went in there and I saw these older people who were coming in and still dealing with this stuff and uh, how it was very much, it was motivating for me, but I didn't want to go back there because it was also very sad. It's yeah. very sad to see that. And it was very, um, it was devastating to hear about other people's experiences on top of my own. Mm. And so, you know, it's, it's great. It's a great place for connecting, but I do feel like you still have to be at a certain point with carrying your own stuff before going in there would be helpful. And it's different for every person too. Right. So of course, I'm definitely not speaking for everyone. <laughs> Renee. Yeah, this is really an interesting one, Carrie, because when I started out, because so it was 20, when I was 26 years old and I thought, right, okay, I, can, I think I can really do this and I need to start making a change. 
I still was surrounded by people that were very unhealthy, very unproductive, people that I knew straight away, I cannot be around these people and get well and, mm. and recover. So I had to what I call clear the decks. Basically, I had to just start pulling away from those types of people, which led to quite a lonely period of time in my life because they were the only friends that I knew. Mm. And while they were unhealthy, they were all that I had, but I, I knew I had to make that sacrifice. So I actually started to lean into that newfound, uh, I guess, community group, which was the church that I had wandered into. So I started consuming a lot of books and resources, uh, almost it was sort of like this secret healing journey that I was on because I was still married to um, my ex-husband who was very narcissistic, as I think I mentioned before, and he was very anti the changes I was making, he was starting to see that I was speaking differently. I was trying to mind my mouth and my mm. words and just trying to be more in control of my emotions. So my support system really was my church family, but it also became books, things that I could consume in private. So mm. I would wait until he went to work and then I would read books um, by Joyce Meyer, Christine Kane, all about resilience and how about uh, taking control of your mind so I was thinking, what can I do in my own power? I didn't have money to invest in anything or go to, say, a coach, which really wasn't that big back then. Sure. Uh, so what I did have in my hand was the people um, at, at the community group but also books. So I started becoming a huge consumer of things that could equip me for me to take home and implement in my day-to-day life. I love that. And I think it's such an important reminder for everyone that there are so many resources available to us, right? Mm -hmm. Like podcasts like this one and Google and YouTube. And there's so many resources out there of people legitimately wanting to help and can be in your ears or in a Mm -hmm. book that you're reading. You know, there are resources for people. Yeah, absolutely. And now more than ever, I mean, this this was 20 years ago. Yeah. So now more than ever, you know, and I wasn't really aware of things like, I don't even know if podcasts were around back then, but I know now, even when I'm in the car, my car mm-hmm. is my biggest um, tool for both meetings and absorbing content. So driving to a meeting or, you know, if I'm on a road trip and I'm by myself, I will just consume hours and hours of, of podcast and content, things that fill me up and equip me to, to do life better. Yeah. And so how did you navigate really allowing yourself to kind of separate from those friends or those spaces? Because I think that's often where people get kind of quote unquote stuck of not knowing how to do that. Yeah. I was, look, I'm a bit of an all in girl. Mm-hmm. Everything I do is, you know, like a million miles an hour. I'm either 100% <laughs> in or 100% out. <laughs> yep. So what I started to do, I mean, I didn't have a mobile phone back then in the early days. My ex-husband wouldn't allow me to. So mm-hmm. it's not as though he, they were ringing me a million times a day and I didn't have a car. He would take the family car and I had a new baby. Mm-hmm. So they at first didn't really notice much difference. And then once they did start getting a hold of us, I was just able to because I wasn't strong enough in my own willpower then to just go, look, you're not healthy for me because I was terrified yeah. of conflict. So I would just say, look, I'm a mum now. None of none of those people were mums. They were all mm. single party animals. So I was like, you know, I just need to spend time at home with my baby. And then because they weren't real friends, of course, once they couldn't get what they wanted from me or didn't fill themselves up by taking from me, they just fell away. 
But the hardest thing was the loneliness. And people Mm. say to me all the time, Renee, I I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that. It's going to be really lonely. So I make them or I ask them to do um, an inventory of what those friends provide for them. Mm. And what they start seeing is that it's more of a take relationship than it is a give relationship. Once they start seeing they're actually being used and abused in a particular way that they're not real friends, so to speak, it's easier for them to go, you know what, this is not serving me. You know what, this is pretty one-sided. And they start just stepping away, stepping away. And as we become healthier, I don't know what it was like for you, but all of a sudden those environments and those relationships actually didn't make me feel good anymore. Mm. They weren't fulfilling what they used to because it was no longer what I wanted. So I actually started becoming stronger and then as I pulled away, so did they. And I was just happy to go through that initial stage of, oh, this is a little bit different. I'm not used to being alone. And that's when I had to fill that alone time with positive things like the reading of the book so I wasn't idle because being idle, I think, can be very dangerous. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a really useful tool that people can implement of just taking stock of, you know, the relationships in your life and looking at them through that lens. I really like that. Mm. Yeah. It's again, it's very empowering. Once again, Mm -hmm. we're in control of the choices we make. And when we're dealing with trauma and trauma recovery, we've been disempowered for so long. It is about taking, taking stock of what we do have and saying, hang on a minute, what is in my hand? What can I control? So the way that we relate to people and who we allow into our lives and what boundaries we implement is entirely up to us. Heather. In the beginning, see, I didn't realize I had support Mm -hmm. in some areas. I was very protective of myself and I was very closed off and I was very, um, I felt very alone and I had nobody, honestly, everybody was spending for themselves. And I was, it started at a very young age where I didn't have anybody. My mom allowed these men to do the things that they did to me. My family believed my mom when I came out and said, Hey, somebody help me. Mm. And I chose to go into foster care. So from the get-go, I was always on my own. And there are people who would be there for me or say they were there, but it was always some kind of toxic or unhealthy um, conditional love or conditional support. And as I was growing up and going through what I was going through, I pretty much didn't trust anybody. And so my support system was myself and unhealthy people. And when I got to about the 24 age after the breakup and after my best friend passed away, I started to realize, okay, this stuff needs to change. And my support system became my boyfriend, who I'm still currently with. And I strengthened relationships with friends and I strengthened relationships with certain individuals. It was always a one-by-one test trial of, okay, give a little, take a little. And then I hired my first coach and I've been working with her for a year now. And it's crazy to see the difference in how I build support and and trust. And in each little way, individual people like stepped in and helped and, 
and they aren't here today, but they were that little piece of, okay, here you go. This is the support I needed my whole life. But ultimately it's always been me and trusting whatever those intuitions and those spirit guides <laughs> and the, um, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but after my best friend passed away, it's kind of like my, uh, my personal connection with him got even stronger. Mm. And so he's been a big support, even though he's not here. Mm. So do you feel like it was a really scary step on that first, like letting someone in? Do you remember at all what that felt like? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're oh, yeah. fine. Um, it, even till today, it's still very hard even though I'm learning how to trust better, letting someone in back then was, so it was my boyfriend and he was calm. He didn't fight with me. He didn't like, I would pick fights and I, I would be like, you must not love me because you clearly are not fighting with me. You're clearly not. And all I'm used to is screaming, fighting abuse from four or five years old yeah and I seriously did like I'm surprised five and a half years later that he's still with me (laughs) because I I literally ripped the rug out from under him a million times because I'm learning who I am I'm learning how to have a voice I'm learning how to (laughs) kind of push back and I've almost died several times in our five and a half years. And he's known me since I was 16. So he's known my crazy. He's known my story. <laughs> he's known. And I learned support from him. And mm. I taught him how to support me. Mm. And that was even harder. Because I didn't know how to support for myself. Mm. I didn't even know what that looked like. Because I gave everything to everybody all the time. And when my health went to I almost passed away several times on his watch to watch him pick up the pieces and go okay let's keep going Mm. I never had that before or when my abusive family was coming at me and he's like all right we're we're gonna put a little barrier up because you deserve more and Mm. I've never had that from anybody, especially from the people that I thought I was supposed to. Yeah. And I would fight him. I would fight him so hard. <laughs> mm, what a gift yeah. to be able to receive that then. Yeah. It, it's, it was very difficult for a very long time to receive. And mm. now it's, it's becoming easier and it's becoming... Because before I didn't think I deserved it. Mm. Before I didn't think I was worthy of it. and. When I say he was so calm, sometimes it was too calm. Sometimes I'm like, all right, let's let's show some <laughs> let's show some initiative. But it was he's the complete opposite to me. And it I think of it like a yin and yang of support. Like he's just a little bit of me and I'm just a little bit of him, but we're completely opposite where I've brought him out of his turtle shell mm-hmm. and he's brought me more back down to earth of okay i'm safe i'm i have a safe place i don't need to 
to run off and find attention from somewhere else. And that's been a big lesson for myself too. Uh, learning how to come back in and, and find what I need in myself versus go out and find it in someone else or go out and um, make a mistake or anything like that. And it's not mistakes, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, instead of going outwards and finding someone else to fill what I'm looking for, coming back in and either discussing it with him or discussing it with myself and figuring out how to do it for myself. And that's made me so much more whole, but it's been a couple lessons. It's been a couple trials. Absolutely. Especially when you have a history of not having that, it's not going to be a a simple process. And I think we have this expectation sometimes, right? Around what healing and what growth looks like. And we think it's like this straight line. I don't even know why we think that, but that's just what we think so often. And it's so bumpy regardless of your past, but especially if you have had any version of trauma or abuse in your past, like it's just going to be messy. Yeah. And I know a lot of people may not find the support like this in a significant other, but finding that in a friend or finding that in a coach or finding that in something like I reiterate I used to be so alone and so solo and I didn't think I could trust anybody or have a support system or have those girls around you or have that image in your head. But I would not be who I am today without a support system. Absolutely. And that's one of the first things I teach my clients is who is your support system? If you don't have that, how can you have that? What can you build? Because I have tested my boyfriend's waters so much. (laughs) but it's taught me to trust myself even more it's taught me and to be able to have people who call me out on my stories and go okay are you done with this now and it's shown me (laughs) it's shown me that oh wait I don't have to create all this chaos I don't have to create all this unnecessary to be happy or to have this or have that and if I don't like it I don't have to do it And that's been so weird because I've always had to do what everyone else says, do this, do that, forget my feelings, forget my emotions, forget how I feel, forget what I want, what I need. Mm. And I've had people giving that back to me and going, oh, no, no, no. You need to do this regardless of how I feel. I still love you. Or regardless of what I think, I still support you. Mm. And that's been a big factor of who I am. Mm. I love that. Stephanie? In the beginning, not really much of one. Um, I had lost contact with my friends and I was not really telling anybody what was going on. So my support system was very small. But when I started to make big changes, I had to reconnect to those people. So part of my awakening and healing was to create my tribe again. So I connected with women who I'd lost touch with that I'd been friends with in middle school. And so I reached out to them and I said, hey, Let's start a regular, you know, girls' night doing something. Um, you know, I reached out to family and told them what was uh, what was going on with them. I reached out to friends that had moved away and said, "Let's start talking to each other more often." And I started actually going to meetups, uh, different meetup groups, to actually, you know, try out things that I might be interested in. Anything that I'd ever wanted to try, I just tried it. So 
I, I went to a Reiki healing circle and I was like, this is really cool. It felt a little woo when I first was going. And then I was like, this is actually really cool. And so it got me interested in that. And then I started following more, learning more about spirituality and everything kind of just brought me into a direction of recreating my, my tribe, which was really key in healing. I love that you were just so willing to put yourself out there in terms of doing that. Did you have uh, fears or reasons that you were like, oh, I don't know if I should actually do this pop up for you? Well, I definitely, I think in the right away, I wasn't sure who I was. Mm. So it was kind of one of those things of like, let's just try it because who am I friends with? Who am I really? Was I ever really friends with those people? you know, the people I had lost, was it because of me or because of them or because of my ex or what was all of it? So it was, it was all kind of just like, you know, like when they say, when you're having an anxiety attack, you want to kind of look at something that's real and you want to you know, look at three things and describe them. And that helps you stay focused. And it was kind of one of those things too. It was like, what's real? Mm-hmm. Where is my fear coming from? Who, because my ex-husband used to say to me all the time, well, people don't really like you, mm-hmm. you know, tired of hearing from you. People think you're too opinionated and you know, you should shut your mouth. And I kept hearing those kinds of things. And it was, you had to really start to grow that mental strength again to say, hey, no, that was him and his beliefs and his insecurities. Those were not mine. And actually, every time I would meet new people, I started to get so good at going out. I would go out by myself all the time. I would go places and I would just love to just have the freedom to go wherever. And I found out that actually I was pretty cool. <laughs> people enjoyed spending time with me. And, you know, I had, I had to reconnect with that because I, I didn't, I didn't know that I was, you know, I, I kind of had lost. Yeah. Well, and I love that because hopefully that gives people permission that are listening to just try it on, be willing to put yourself out there and do something that maybe feels scary or uncomfortable, but that absolutely helped you to just flourish and thrive. Yeah. The worst thing that happens is you don't like it you know, mm-hmm. ever, but, you know, going to a singing bowl meditation was pretty cool. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, going to all these different activities and learning all these things, they were, it was really interesting. And it just kind of added to my repertoire of, you know, knowledge. And so no matter what, you know, going to a book signing, going to hear someone talk, I mean, all things I normally would never have done. Mm-hmm. I just if it found it even slightly interesting. I was like, all right, let's do it. And then I would try it out. And most of the time, even if I was like, I don't want to do this again, I still got something positive out of it. Mm, I love that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it and speaking to each of these five women who have such a gift to share with all of us in terms of their stories and where they have been on their journey to setting themselves free. And what I want to highlight from this episode that I think is so critical that I hope you picked up on, and that is that support is non-negotiable. It might not be your current reality, and that's okay. There's absolutely no judgment or no shame in that, but it is a key component to healing and growth. I would argue for the rest of our lives, but particularly when you are in the midst of trauma and toxic relationships and self-doubt and just feeling down on your confidence in general. And so I personally argue it's a non-negotiable for life, but I 
absolutely think it's important to amp up the level of support and the kind of support and what that looks like as you are walking through something that can feel way more challenging than other times. And so I hope what you gained from listening to this episode is that none of the stories are the same. And yet there are key components that support was critical and crucial to healing and to the journey of setting themselves free. And so it doesn't have to look like one of these women's opportunities for their own support in their life. And maybe it does. Maybe it looks really similar. Either is okay. Both are okay. But it is really figuring out what does great support feel like to you? What does it actually feel like in your body to experience incredible support? And I encourage you and challenge you to play with that, to sit with that, to Imagine in your mind and your body what that feels like to have that level of support. It feels expansive to me. It feels enriching to my life. And like I have the freedom and ability to do anything and everything that I desire when I am fully supported. And there is so much available to us now that didn't used to be the case. And so I just encourage you to seek out support even when it feels scary, even when your shame demons, your old tapes are running this show and saying that it's weakness, that it's any any and all of those fears and doubts that pop up. Please, please do the work to silence them because they are just not true. You are made to be in relationship and to have every level of support you desire to bring you to be the magical and full and bold and bright human that you are. So please take that with you today. I cannot wait for you to join us next week and to dive in to more of these five courageous women's stories. So we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Set Yourself Free podcast. I am incredibly grateful that you are here supporting me and these brave guests. If you can do me a favor and take one minute to share this episode with someone that needs to hear it, I would be so grateful. And if you are willing, please go leave us a review. Each month, I will be choosing a reviewer to give a free coaching session to as a thank you for listening. One thing I know for certain is that we will forever be as sick as our secrets. Shame has no ability to grow when we share our stories in safe spaces. I'm more encouraged than you could possibly know by those that are willing to speak up, ask for help, and share with us that we are not alone. So don't forget, head on over to my website at setyourselffreellc.com, grab your free journal and book a free 30-minute call with me to talk about the number one mindset block, stopping you from the money and impact you desire to have. And one thing that you can do this week to shift it. Thanks again for being here and we will see you next week.